Thank you, Dan, choir, and instrumentalists for beautiful music today. Come on to Thanksgiving, Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 will begin in a moment. We'll look at various passages in Acts. Then we'll look at a passage in 2 Timothy. So if you'll find Acts and 2 Timothy. John Catanucci remembers this story, telling it in the first person. This is the voice of John Catanucci. Grandpa, please come, I said, knowing that he wouldn't. The pale light that filtered through the dusty kitchen window, he sat stiffly in his padded chair with his thick forearms resting on the formica table, staring past me at the wall. He was a gruff, crusty, old country Italian with a long memory for past hurts, both real and imagined. When he was feeling testy, he responded with a grunt, and he gave me one which meant no. Come on, Gramps, pleaded my six-year-old sister Carrie. I want you to come. She was 21 years younger than I. She had been a startling surprise to my parents. I'm going to make your favorite cookies just for you. Mom's already taught me how, Carrie added. It's for Thanksgiving, for goodness sakes, I said. You haven't joined us for dinner in four years. Don't you think it's time to let the past be the past? He glanced at me, his blue eyes flashing with that same intensity that intimidated the entire family for all these years, intimidated everyone but me, that is. Somehow, I knew him. Perhaps I shared more of his loneliness than I cared to admit. The same inability to, to let emotions show. Whatever reason, I knew what was inside of Gramps. Carrie chattered on, still trying to convince him. She had no idea how hopeless it was. She was so young. I got up and walked over to the kitchen window, and I stared out to the garden. In the winter light, it was a delicate gray, overgrown with tangled weeds and wild vines. Grandpa used to work miracles out there in that garden. A substitute, perhaps, for his inability to orchestrate his own nature. But now that Grandma had died, he just let it all grow over and withdrawn more inside himself. We have to go now, Grandpa. I kissed him on the cheek. I'll pick you up on Thanksgiving Day. If you decide to come, he sat stone still, staring straight ahead, sucking on that old stinky pipe. A few days later, Carrie asked me for Grandpa's address. What for, I said. She was folding a sheet of paper into a blue envelope and said she'd made him a gift, and I, I, I want to I send it to him. So I told her Grandpa's address, letter by letter. She was so careful to really round them out with her own hand. She wrote slowly, so concentrated, and when she finished, she put it in the envelope. She was ready to go and said, I want to the, I go to the post office. I want to mail it. I want to mail it myself. And so we did. Thanksgiving. I awoke to the delicious smell of pasta sauce. 
Mom was preparing that special ravioli, turkey, broccoli, sweet potatoes, cranberry sauce, a wonderful amalgam of Italian and American traditions. We only need four places, Carrie, I heard mother say as I was walking in to the kitchen. Carrie, shook her head. No, no, mommy, we need five. Gramps is coming. Oh, honey, mom responded. Sometimes relationships are broken. It seems that they will never, ever be repaired. What was true for that Italian-American family on Thanksgiving was true for the Apostle Paul this morning. If we turn back to Acts chapter 13 and verse 5, you'll see these words. We first see his name there, 13.5. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John as their helper. There he is. There's our star character today, John Mark of Acts. Notice, they had John as their helper. Back in chapter 12, you remember it was Peter's miraculous escape from prison. The very night that Herod was about to bring Peter out of prison to take his life, he's there in the prison. He has a chain on each arm. He's chained to a prisoner. Prisoners are guarding the door outside the prison. And all of a sudden, a bright light appears. It's an angel of the Lord. The angel strikes Peter in his side. Get up, get up, the angel says. The chains fall off. Put on your shoes, the angel says. Put on your shoes. Now put on your cloak. We're going to go. Peter's kind of half asleep and sleepwalking outside of the prison. He thinks it's all a dream. And finally, he gets all the way out of the prison, and he realizes he's not dreaming. He's really seen an angel. He's really escaped. In fact, the, the city gates actually open up on their own, and the angel disappears, and he walks out and Peter has escaped death because of the angel of the Lord. Now look at Acts 12, 12. Then he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So he goes to the house of Mary. Mary is the mother of whom? Of our character today, John Mark. Now, you remember, it's kind of a funny story. They're at Mary's house. All the believers are over here in a corner, and they're praying that God will protect Peter, that he will be delivered, and God answers their prayer, sends the angel, and Peter's released from prison. He's knocking on the door. He knocks on the door. They send the servant girl. Rhoda comes. She, it's Peter. It's Peter. She runs back and tells the ones who are praying for Peter's release that Peter's at the door. She leaves Peter outside. He's still knocking on the door. They're looking for Peter, you know. He needs to get inside. And they say, oh, you've seen his ghost or something. It's not Peter. Now let's keep praying for Peter to be released. They don't accept the, the answer of their own prayer. But what we learn here in Acts chapter 12 is that John Mark's mother's house might have even been the place where the church where Peter worshipped in Jerusalem actually gathered and worshipped. At least I can say with all certainty it was a place of prayer for the Jerusalem community. And so John Mark, the helper, 
on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, grew up in a Christian family, and perhaps, I think even probably, a church met in his mother's house there. Now, look at chapter 13 and verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Look at 13b. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. I don't know why he quit. So this John Mark, who was a helper on the first missionary journey, he ups and quits. Is he too young? Is he homesick? Is he surprised that in preaching a gospel so full of grace that he faces persecution? I don't know. But I do know that his calling it quits was not okay with Paul. I do know that Paul thought of him as a quitter, kind of a, a no good helper. Paul was done with John Mark. He just threw in the towel right when the going got tough. He was a, a fly-by-night, a would-be disciple, shallow in Paul's mind. According to the Apostle Paul, he had, it's a hard word, deserted the missionary trip. Well, back to Acts 15. Following a successful missionary journey only partly with John the Helper, a few days pass, and Paul says to Barnabas, I want us to go back and to revisit each of the places where we preach the gospel. I want us to encourage the brethren in all those places. I want us to see how they're doing. I want us to kind of now water the seed that we planted. Let's go back. And in Acts 15, Barnabas says, that is great. I'm excited to go back with you, Paul. I just need to go get my cousin, John Mark. And Paul says, now, wait a minute. I want you to notice the severity of the language. Look at verse 38. Paul kept insisting they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the word. Paul, it wasn't one time he said, John Mark can't go. He kept on insisting. John Mark, the deserter who didn't do the work, will not go. You know, he fooled me the first time. We need to take reliable help. We will not take a quitter. In fact, it gets even worse. Look at verse 39. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated. Listen to those words. There arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about Barnabas, who's always the good guy, the encourager. We're talking about the majority writer of your New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Barnabas and Paul separated with a sharp division over whether or not John Mark could go again. In fact, Barnabas is so insistent, he takes John Mark and they go back to the island and Paul says, I'm not going with you. I told you I wouldn't go. I told you if John Mark goes, I'm not going. He's no good. So he picks Silas. And he goes to Cilicia and Syria, the opposite direction from Barnabas and John Mark. 
I want us to notice two things in this passage this morning. First of all, hurt feelings and divisions and misunderstandings happen even among God's choicest servants. I mean, this is Paul and Barnabas. That hurt feelings, divisions, and misunderstandings happen even among God's choicest servants. It happened to the Apostle Paul. It happened to Barnabas, one of my favorite characters. It happened to John Mark, who, by the way, wrote the Gospel of Mark. These are the best of the best, and they can't get along. Would there ever be healing in this relationship between Paul and John Mark? Would there ever be wholeness? Would Paul ever give John Mark another chance to be a steadfast partner in the work of the gospel? With whom is your division today? Somebody you taught Sunday school with before? Somebody you stood with singing in the choir once upon a time? Another staff member, perhaps, who serves now in another church. Maybe it's a, a family member with whom you've had your separation, as Paul would call it. Do you, like Paul, have the scar tissue from the division in the relationship? It's amazing motif in Scripture that we are to forgive our brothers and sisters even as God has forgiven us. In fact, Jesus himself tells us as he teaches us how to pray, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, we always, we never say this part, but it's there. If you do not forgive others, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, 4, and 5. Go home and look it up. The other part of the Lord's Prayer that you do not know. Even as we forgive, God forgives. And as we withhold forgiveness, God withholds forgiveness. It's so hard to give, receive forgiveness it's so hard sometimes to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's so hard to say, okay, it's the past, let's move forward from this day. Kathy Werman, according to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, she was an operator and found out so many people have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me, that she started a business, and for $6, she will use her charming southern voice and call your enemy and apologize on your behalf. <laughs> Might be an idea for some of you wanting to work from home. I never thought about that. But in reality, no one else can apologize for us, can they? No one else can do the hard work of forgiving that we need to do in our own hearts. We must be the ones to forgive. Don't sit here this morning and say it's too late, too much water over the dam, under the bridge. It all begins when at first we are willing. 
those of us involved in the family rift or the rift at work or at the church are brave enough, forget about rejection and hold out the olive branch of forgiveness and try to make amends. But it's hard, isn't it? Anger somehow makes us feel like we're seeking justice. That desire for revenge makes us feel like if we're in control. Those are hard feelings, that righteous indignation and that need to control that are so hard to let go. Perhaps Alexander Pope was more insightful than we thought when we learned in school his famous saying, to err is human, but to forgive. But to forgive is, you know it, divine. It is so much of our humanness, our atomness, our fleshiness that allows us to be John Mark's quitters, deserters, troublemakers, hurt inflictors. It's easy to be the Apostle Paul and say, you won't do that to me again. You did it one time, not not on my watch, bud, not a second time. Life is too short, isn't it? And then there's Barnabas, who always believes and gives us another chance. Isn't it Jesus who, hanging on the cross at the very moment of crucifixion, looks down and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At the moment of agony of death inflicted upon the innocence, the thought on our Lord's mind is forgiveness. Now, I don't know how it happened. I wish I could tell you the whole story. I wish I could outline every movement in the Gospels that leads us to this. And don't turn to these for time's sake. But if you were to write down Colossians 4.10, you look at it when you get home. In Colossians 4.10, Paul writes these words. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. About whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Wow. There's Paul in prison, giving greetings, gives greetings from Aristarchus, and then he says, hey, and hello from John Mark. It happened, didn't it? And if John Mark comes to you, this is Paul speaking, you better welcome him. You hear me? Or in Philemon 24, it's not just once. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Not only is he commanding them to welcome John Mark, and now in Philemon he calls John Mark his fellow worker. He gets better than this. I would have you turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul is sure he's dying. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. 
So here Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's saying, it's over. I'm poured out like a drink offering. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm going to die. But look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. You see that? At the very moment of his deathbed scene, in his own mind at least, Paul says, I need one person, and the one person I want by my side is John Mark. How did we go from, if John Mark's going, I'm not going, he's no good, he's a quitter, to I'm about to die. The one I want by my side is John Mark. He is useful to me. The second thing I want you to see in this story is it's always best to allow people to begin again. How guilty we are. What if Paul had frozen John Mark in time and not allowed him to grow? We wouldn't have the gospel of Mark, would we? How we'd be robbed. To allow people to learn from their mistakes and change to be entrusted with another chance. A rift so wide that Paul said, if he's going, I won't go to Man, I'm dying to one guy I need, the one I want by my side, is John Mark. Ultimately, we've got to be willing to let it go, don't we? Angry words spoken in a moment of haste and hurt feelings. The relative who didn't come to our wedding, the daughter-in-law who told us to mind her own business, you've got your own list. God says in Isaiah 53, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions, and I will remember your sins, two of my favorite words, no more. I will remember your sins no more. All the terrible things that we have done, the times that we have quit, thrown in the towel, been fearful and lacked courage, God has forgiven and forgotten. Peter Marshall prayed the prayer, Lord Jesus, you know me altogether. You know I have steadily refused to forgive this one who has wronged me, yet have tried the, had the audacity to ask you to forgive me. Back to our Italian-American Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving, I was awakened to that delicious smell of pasta sauce. Mom was preparing that special dinner, ravioli, turkey, broccoli, sweet potatoes, and cranberry sauce, a wonderful amalgam of Italian and American traditions. We only need four places, Carrie, Mom was saying as I walked into the kitchen. Carrie shook her head. No, Mama, we need five. Grant's is coming. Oh, honey, Mom said, looking down. He's coming, my little sister said flatly. I know that he is. Carrie, give us a break, I said. He's not coming. I didn't want her to ruin her whole Thanksgiving, being disappointed. John, let her be, Mom said. Carrie, go ahead. Set an extra place if you want to. Dad came in the living room counting the places that Carrie was setting for Thanksgiving. He knew there was an extra one, too. 
Finally, we sat down for dinner. And glancing at Carrie, Mom said, well, we can't wait any longer. It's time for the blessing. And Carrie prayed as she looked at the door. Please bless us, O Lord. And the food we're about to eat. And bless Grandpa and help him to hurry. Amen. Shooting glances at each other, we were all a little reluctant just to dig in and kind of seal the fate that Gramps wasn't coming. So we just stared in silence, waiting for Carrie to give us the cue as to what to do. The clock was ticking, and suddenly there was a muffled knocking at the door, and Carrie leapt to her feet, ran down the hallway, and shouted, Gramps. He stood in his one suit, black and shiny, with his black fedora on his chest. He was holding a paper brown bag and said, I bring squash for the occasion. Several months later, Grandpa died. We were cleaning out his bedroom. And in his dresser drawer, in that blue envelope with those big round letters by little sis Carrie, there was a picture of the Thanksgiving table. And there were five chairs around the table, and one was empty. And each of the other stick figures had a heart drawn that was cracked in the middle. Jagged, because Gramps' chair was empty. Come on to Thanksgiving. John Mark did. Let us pray. Oh, God, we're all John Mark, aren't we? We all gave up too soon, got scared, quit, went home, threw in the towel. And yet, as Paul extended grace and restored, we are to extend grace and restore. Even as you forgive us, we're to forgive our family. Father, I pray for all the things that we could be grateful for on this Thanksgiving week weekend, that one of them would be we're grateful for forgiveness, mercy, grace, and restoration. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.